0: Glad that all of you are here. Today is the second week of our Lord's Prayer series. Uh, This is our Christmas series. We're going to be looking at this all the way through the rest of the year. And so let me give us a a recap of where we've been so far. Uh, The first week, last week, we talked about the line. We're basically walking line through line through the prayer. And we talked about our Father in heaven. And what we discovered is that this line in the prayer, this, this opening to the prayer means and has significance for us way beyond just calling God. Our dad or our daddy, right? And that's significant and that's powerful. And the idea of God and addressing God in such an intimate and familiar way is significant for us, but it goes far deeper than that. What it essentially means is that it speaks of commitment. To call God and address Him as Father speaks to our commitment. It means that we have signed on for the kingdom of God that we're going to talk about today and that we are a freedom people and that we have accepted our position as God's sons and daughters. And what, it came, what I came to realize last week is that as we were using all this imagery of God as Father, that there's a good chance that many of you look at that imagery and, and it, does, it doesn't mean something positive. Uh, that you grew up with a father that was maybe abusive, that maybe left, and, and you kind of have this idea of God as Father and it's anything but encouraging to you. And so I want to first, just, just by way of recap, just want to recognize that, that some of you may have had a father that has hurt you in deep and profound ways, and your father can't be trusted. And so why would you look to the imagery of God as father and say, oh, that's a great thing? Probably many of you would say, there's no way that I would want God as my father based on my experience of being a son or being a daughter. This idea of being adopted as a son or a daughter doesn't mean much to you because your experience as a son Or a daughter is hurtful and it's far better for you to be a friend of God rather than have God as a father. If that's you today, I just want to remind you that what scripture shows us and reveals to us over and over again is that God is profoundly powerful and profoundly good. And because of that, he can be trusted. See, the reality is that your dad may have been very powerful, but he wasn't good. And so he, he demonstrated that power in abusive ways, whether it's verbal abuse, physical abuse, or other kinds of areas of abuse. He was powerful, there's no doubt about that, but he wasn't good. And, and what happens is if someone is good, if someone is powerful but not good, they can't be trusted. And so it leads to fear. For others of you, your, your dad was good, but he wasn't powerful. In other words, he would never hurt you, but he never fought for you. He just left. He, he, he never demonstrated that you were the number one thing in his life, that, that you were all that mattered. He didn't demonstrate his power in a good way. He was good. He would never physically hurt you, but he hurt you in all kinds of other ways because he never fought for you. And if someone is good but they're not powerful, it leads to doubt. And so some of us, when we come to God as Father, we either fear him or we doubt him. And what I want to tell you today, just by way of review, is that God is both powerful powerful. And good, which leads to trust. This God, who is our Father, can be trusted. And so I, my, my hope for you today, and I know that's a, a serious way to start a sermon, and I know that's a heavy way to, to, to do an introduction or a, or a review, but my hope for you today is that you would come to see that God is both powerful and good, which gives birth to trust, and that you would experience him to be good today. And that you would experience him to be capable and powerful and sufficient for your need. That you may trust him. That's the first line. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Today I want to talk about your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, last week we read... From Matthew chapter 6, we read the Lord's Prayer. Instead of reading the Lord's Prayer uh, to you, I want to say the Lord's Prayer together today. And that will be our our scripture reading. And uh, so the words are going to be up there. But I also want to remind you that as we say these words together in unison as a community and a body of Christ, we are joining with thousands of years of, of, of communities that have been honoring God by praying this prayer over their community. And so my hope and my goal throughout this series is that we would say, learn this prayer. And when we say it, it would move beyond just being words on a page or words on a screen or words that we have memorized, right? And so my goal and my hope is that as we say this prayer together, that we are actually not just saying the prayer, but we're praying this prayer over our community, and so the words are going to be up here, and we do that uh, just so that everybody has consistent language. Sometimes it can be confusing, so uh, let's let's say it here together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us our debts, as we also and give us, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Now we've just prayed together. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The question that we have to ask is what are we really praying when we pray this line? What are we really praying when we pray for God's Will and God's kingdom to be done and to come on earth as it is in heaven. Well, it's, it's easy to think about God's kingdom as simply being this spiritual reality that consists of sort of a better code of morals, a freshly crafted theology, or just an improved spirituality that isn't offered by God by other religions. And so we say when we're talking about the kingdom, what we're really talking about is this better morality. We're really talking about spirituality that isn't offered in other world religions. It's really easy to think about the kingdom in this way. The problem with thinking about the kingdom is this way is found in the prayer itself. We're praying. For this kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the prayer itself seems to negate the fact that we would think about the kingdom as sort of this own purely spiritual thing that consists of better morals and a deeper spirituality, right? And yet, so often that's where we jump to that when we're talking about the kingdom, we're talking about really high morals or we're talking about deep spirituality. And that certainly is part of it. But that isn't the whole of it. It's far deeper than that. As we are taught to pray for it to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it can't just be this spiritual reality if we are to experience it here. And if we are to pray for it to come here. And so we have earth. And heaven, two realms, two realities. How in the world are we supposed to think about these these things that we find in the prayer? And there's a couple of approaches. One approach is to say that they're completely different. That these realms of reality, heaven and earth, are completely separate. They never intersect. They never overlap. They don't have anything to do with it. This is sort of the view that says God created the world and then he left it to just run its course. And that we have no higher power. We have no no nothing. God has just sort of created and then left us all alone. And so we're left to our own resources and uh, we have no power on which to call from for help in our lives. That's one view. Heaven and earth are completely separate. Now, for the person who is not a person of faith and they take this view, the goal of their religious life or their spiritual life is to go deeper and deeper into themselves trying to find the power that is in their inner being, right? You see this all the time in our culture. Heaven and earth are completely separate. God may be out there, but he doesn't know anything about me. He doesn't care about me. Thus, the goal of my spirituality is to become deeper and deeper connected to myself. Does that sound familiar? From the hallways and the workplace and the neighborhoods, right? We just try to get deeper and deeper and deeper into ourselves. Now, if we hold this view and we're a person of faith and we're a Christian, then the goal simply becomes to get from earth to heaven, right? I mean, if they're completely separate and they have nothing to do with one another, then that's what we've, we've got to escape one and get to the other. And so the goal sort of becomes, I don't know what's going on here. I just, I just got to get by and then get out of here into somewhere else. Now, the opposite view or the second view of seeing heaven and earth and how they interact and how we come to understand this is that they're overlapped. That is, they're completely the same. They lay right on top of one another. That God's will is all the time and always being done precisely here on earth as it is in heaven. It doesn't matter how much evil is going on. It doesn't, how, it doesn't matter how awful this event is. We shrug it off and we say, well... It's God's will, and we shove everything that goes on, in the, in, the, on the, in the world into this. It's God's will. It's perfectly in line with God's will. It doesn't matter how awful or evil we shrug it off and say, well, everything is exactly as God intends. Now, if you're a person of faith and you take this view, chances are it leads to a very apathetic faith because everything is happening as God intends anyway, and so we lose our mission, right? Right? I mean, if everything happens on earth precisely as God would intend it, as people of faith, wouldn't you and I, wouldn't our role simply become just to hang out and try to live the best moral life that we can and lose a sense of mission in the world? Wow, that, that happened, but listen, folks, I've heard this. Someone experiences deep pain is the victim of profound evil. And a well meaning Christian comes up to them and says, It's God's will. In which case that person turns from God because I would never serve a God whose will it is to do that to me. Right? And so we kinda we, we either say they're completely separate, or we say they're the completely the same, and if we do that as Christians, we lose our mission. And we just try to do our best to live our, uh, an individual good life and a passionless Christian simply doing my best to live a moral life. Now, for the person who isn't a Christian, then this raises the problem of evil, right? If it's God's will to, and I see all this evil and horrible things happening, then how in the world could, I, how in the world could a good God allow all of that to happen? And so I don't think that these two views are good ways to view it. And I also don't think that this is what the the prayer itself speaks to. The prayer itself is saying there is a reality called the kingdom of God. And yet, as as Christians, as disciples of Christ, Jesus is teaching us, let's pray that this kingdom that is as real as anything, it is absolutely a reality in in our world, let's pray for this kingdom to come down on earth. This kingdom where God's will is always accomplished perfectly, let's pray for that to be done on earth. In other words, we we sort we pray and Jesus teaches us to pray for these things to overlap. In other words, think about this in light of Jesus' ministry. At the start of his ministry, he declares and makes an announcement. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, with the ministry of Jesus, a new way of life, a new kingdom to offer our allegiance has burst forth into the world. And yet we find ourselves still part of a broken kingdom here on earth. And the prayer says, may these eventually become one. But in the meantime, They overlap, they intertwine. And so the Christian view is not that heaven and earth are completely separate. It is not that heaven and earth are exactly the same. The Christian view is that heaven and earth are mysteriously, actively interwoven into one another. Where we experience evil and yet in the midst of that evil, there is good that is, is, is experienced. There's reconciliation that happens. There's redemption that comes about. They interlap, they intertwine. They're all the time interacting with one another. It is, in essence, God breaking into our world. It is, in essence, God intervening in human history to see his will done on behalf of of us. In other words, this is what we pray for, for the two realms to finally become married together and one reality at last, which in itself recognizes that they aren't yet that way. Are you with me? This is the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. And his original followers, for not for one moment, would believe that the kingdom of God was just this improved spirituality or morality in our lives. Their belief was far more dangerous than that. Right? I mean, you can live safely in our over-spiritualized world, believing that the kingdom of God that has been brought through Christ is high morality and deeper spirituality. You could come into the face of someone who is uh, very pagan, and they would say, well, yeah, me too. But if you begin to say that there is, there is the reality of a kingdom that, that was initiated with the person of Christ through his death and resurrection and that through faith we enter that kingdom, we hold our allegiance to that kingdom and there is in that kingdom rule above all else, then people say, whoa, right? But sometimes we don't go far enough with our belief of the kingdom and we just sort of make it into this thing that fits really well. And same thing, the disciples never believed that it was just about better morality or deeper spirituality. They proclaimed the reality of a kingdom that was far more dangerous than that. And so this, this kingdom, though, this prayer, is not just a recognition, right? Same thing with, the, with the, uh, the first line, our Father in heaven. That's not simply a way of saying, yep, God's our dad. It's a call to action, right? It's a call to commitment. It's a call to say, I'm signing on for the kingdom of God. In the same way, if we together as a community pray for God's kingdom to be done, to come on earth and his will to be done on earth, then we are in fact committing ourselves to action. We are committing ourselves to doing and taking the steps necessary to help bring that the answer to that prayer about. Right? And so this in itself is a call of action. It's not simply that we just, something that we just kind of pray and we celebrate and we say, oh, God's kingdom is real. Yes, all of that, but we cannot stop there. We've got to go one step further and say, now, how can I become an answer to the prayer that Jesus has taught us to pray? And so I want to go over some, uh, some implications that this has for our lives because the bottom line of this prayer is that it's a call to action. And it's interesting to me that when, when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, they asked it because they saw what he was doing. Right? I mean, they, they weren't just sitting around talking about theology. They saw the life, the work, the action of Jesus, and as a result said, tell me more about that. Show me how to pray, that I might live in the same way that you live. There's a lesson here, right? That if we are known by our action, I wonder if there would be some sort of reciprocation from that. And so this prayer is a call to action. And I believe it has all kinds of implications. I want to go over three today. The first one is it has implications for us and the world. I I love the progression of the prayer. And you'll get a sense of this as we go along this series. But the prayer begins our father in heaven. And then we hallow his name, which we didn't talk a lot about, but we, we give honor to his name. So we look up to the face of heaven and we say, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name or honored be your name. And then we look out to the world and we say, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is. In heaven. That is to say that as we look at the face of the Father who is in heaven, we commit to honoring his name. And then we immediately look out all around us and learn to see the world as he sees it. How many of you are Instagram fans? Yeah, a couple of you. Instagram, Instagram. Come on, come on. You guys are killing me. Instagram is an iPhone app. And, uh, if, even if you don't have an iPhone. You'll find it all over on Facebook, right? So this is a very like, pervasive technology right now in our culture. Instagram is an iPhone app, and it lets you take pictures and then put filters on them and kind of borders, like pretty them up, and then you share them, right? And it's sort of like a social network. You can follow people. Uh, you can comment on their picture, et cetera, et cetera. And some of you are thinking that's all we need is another social network. But it's kind of built in, and it integrates into all these other social networks. And so it's basically a picture social network for the iPhone. It's free and it's amazing. And here's what I've learned about it. It can make anything look good. Instagram can make anything look good. All right? It can take the worst picture that someone just snapped on a whim and then you put a little filter on it, you put a little border around it, and then all of a sudden it's gallery art. Right? For example... During the recent tree carnage in Fort Collins, you guys know what I'm talking about. Instagram is like on fire. All over Facebook, people are posting like every five minutes. And they're they're posting trees that are half dead and have had the worst day of their life, right? I mean, branches are down, bent over to the ground. I mean, it is a horrible tree carnage. Let's just be honest, this tree has died. Someone what takes, it, takes upon themselves to be a reporter of the tree carnage in Fort Collins using Instagram. They put a little filter on this dead tree and a border around it. And you, you look at this tree that is like having a bad day. And you're like, that's beautiful. <laughs> Instagram can make something that looks terrible really look good. Okay? That's, that's the idea of Instagram. Now, Instagram can take something that looks good and make it look great. For example... I'm on Instagram, some of you follow me, and you know that my number one subject on Instagram is my daughter, Jaden. Apparently, there are no other photo-worthy subjects in the world except for my daughter, Jaden. And I might say to you, declare to you, in fact, publicly, she's cute. (laughs) But on Instagram, she's even cuter right? I mean, you take this cute three-year-old girl, and then you Instagram her, and then it's like, she's amazing, right? It can take something that looks really good, and then make her look really great, okay? So Instagram is this idea. It can take something that looks awful, like having a bad day dead tree that's beautiful, or something that looks good, daughter Jaden, and make it look great. Instagramming takes reality, And makes it just a little bit better. Right? It's reality, but it's a little bit better reality. The kingdom of God is like that. The kingdom of God is the ability to see the world and see the the destruction, the hopelessness, the fear, the unforgiveness. And see the potential for forgiveness, reconciliation, redemption, and justice. It's this beautiful thing. And so what praying this prayer essentially means is it is an invitation to Instagram the world with the kingdom of God filter. Are you with me now? Okay, It's this beautiful thing that happens. And so praying thy kingdom come and thy will be done is a bit like putting the kingdom filter on the world where we see brokenness, grief, need, hunger, pain, and instead of seeing hopelessness, we put the kingdom filter on it and all of a sudden the potential for healing and justice and forgiveness and wholeness comes out of the picture. And so praying this prayer is putting a filter on it and uh, on putting a filter on the world and being able to say with great confidence, that redemption is possible no matter the situation. For I know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Some of us need a Romans 8 filter on this world. And you need to, some of you need to Instagram your situation. Because the reality is, is before we can go about working in the world, a lot of times we have to start here and say, how can I see the kingdom of God at work in my own life? Before we can ever go out. And some of you have that backwards. You try to go out without ever really realizing what the kingdom of God and he is doing in your own life. And sometimes we serve, but forget here. So what I want to say to you is first let's apply it to our own life and then let's begin to see the world through that lens and begin to love and to serve. Some of you say, you know, I'm just waiting and I don't know what God God wants for me and it's kind of frustrating. You need to put an Instagram filter on your situation and realize that your season of waiting is pregnant with potential if you will recognize it. Some of you say, you know what, my job is overwhelming and I'm just ready to quit. It doesn't matter what level you're at in your organization or your business. Instagram that thing and see that God has you there for a while and see what God has has you there for for the season and then realize that if your boss is a psycho and if it's not the right place for you, you're not going to be there forever but realize that I'm here for a season and what does God have for me? That's what the Instagram filter does. Rather than go to work and, and just kind of say, oh, this is terrible and I have a bad attitude and all this kind of stuff, you can Instagram that thing, see the potential of the kingdom of God and say, what does God have for me right here and right now during this season? Some of you might say my marriage is falling apart and I'm not even sure if I love my spouse anymore. I invite you to see the potential that God has in your marriage for he brought you together. And there is potential to recapture intimacy, love, and communication. He brought you together. He's not about to tear you apart. Now, I know that sometimes you can't always do, you can't always match what the other person is doing. And sometimes you can't control what they're doing. But you can control what you are doing. And I invite you to see the potential that God desires for you as you see your world crumbling around you. What we need to do if we pray this prayer for God's kingdom to come on earth and as it is in heaven, I invite you to put his filter on the world and begin to see the world as he sees it. Just like the Instagram filter. Now, the second way is the church. If we pray this prayer together as a community, it's gonna affect how we interact and as we in our hope and our goal for us as a church because we're praying that god's will be done on earth as it is in heaven for his kingdom to come that means that we don't come to church and we pray that that we, we don't come to church and just pray that every that this will be a cozy place that's free of problems and pain that nobody will ever change anything beyond what makes me comfortable right? That's not our prayer for our church and our community. Our prayer for our church, our prayer for this body of Christ is that we would be kingdom bearers, that we would be kingdom bringers in the world, that we would come together each and every week to hear from God, to encourage one another in order to be sent out, right? If all that we're doing is praying for the peace to be kept while we're in the four walls, then we're missing the point of church. Now, do we need peace? Yes, that's important. If you're at a grievance with some, You need to seek forgiveness and reconciliation and all of those kinds of things. But if we stop there, we've missed the point of our mission and commission in the world. We gather together to be encouraged, empowered, changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, encouraged by his spirit so that we might be sent out. But some of us are just coming each week and we're not really sending ourselves out. We're worried about butts in seats rather than boots in the street. Come on, that's good. (laughs) Right? And so our prayer for our community changes if we take this prayer seriously. But so oftentimes, we just want church to kind of be a comfortable place. We just come and hang out where we come and get fed. Oh, I left that church because I wasn't being fed. Were you serving? No, you know. Can you repeat the question? Right? What if you changed your approach to church and said, I'm not coming here to get fed, but I'm coming here to go out and serve, to come and serve, to be encouraged, empowered. Now, there's a church for you, and there's a church that's a right fit and all of that. I'm not saying that. But everything changes about the way we see church if we take this prayer seriously where we become the hands and feet of Jesus in our community we become the kingdom bearers third is how we pray for ourselves because sometimes we see this prayer and I I see this all the time and I'm guilty of it myself but we pray this prayer God, your will be done. God, your kingdom come. And we treat it as though it's a prayer of resignation. God, whatever it is, your will be done. What I want doesn't really matter. God's just going to get his way anyway. And I'm not talking about having what you want trump the seat in the heart of God. This prayer is not a prayer of resignation. It's a prayer of submission. Right? Where we are, it's not, it's not like we're just kind of giving up. We're essentially praying, God, reveal yourself to me in greater and greater ways. God, reveal what your will is in this situation. But how many times do, instead of praying that God's will be revealed, we just sort of say, yeah, I just resign myself to it. I just, I just kind of like, I, basically we wash our hands. Do you see the difference of submitting myself to the will of God versus washing my hands of the will of God? That's the difference. And sometimes we pray it like we're a prayer, like it's a prayer of resignation. But what I would argue is that it's a prayer of submission where we are saying, God, I now agree and commit myself to tune my instrument to your song. Right? Because there's all kinds of things going on. There's all kinds of noises, songs going, that are being played in the world. And yet... What I want to do, Lord, is I want to begin to tune the instrument so that I'm playing along with your melody, so that I'm playing along with your harmony, so that I am in tune with the song of, of what you are doing, so I'm in tune with your will and your desire in my life and in this world. So that that song will, and I will, so that song will be heard and I will play it, or in my neighborhood, my workplace, my school, wherever I find myself the world, the church, and ourselves. If we were to pray this prayer like we really mean it, and I mean really mean it, that these don't just become words that we say, but words that are rooted deep in our heart. God, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wouldn't that change everything? I mean, wouldn't it, wouldn't it change the way that you go to work? Wouldn't it change the way that you see your neighbors? Wouldn't it change the way you see other students? And as we head toward Christmas, I am completely convinced of this. Wouldn't it change the way that we did Christmas? I mean, if we really meant this prayer, wouldn't it change everything? Christmas is a wonderful time of year. It gives us opportunity to kind of reflect on the year that's, that's gone by or is going by very quickly. It gives us a chance to, to think about others in this thing called the Christmas spirit. Well, everyone has sort of this open heart during this time of year. And, you know, it's just this wonderful kind of caring spirit about Christmas. And yet I wonder how many of the past few years have you, instead of experiencing those things, thought to yourself, where did the time go? And it's sort of taken on this this quality of of where it rushes by and yet at the same time it lasts forever because we just want to get through it, right? And so I I wonder if we're trying to fix ourselves, right? Where where Christmas used to fly by, and so to compensate, we start Christmas earlier and earlier, right? We start bringing out all the Christmas merchandise. Some of you are already playing Christmas music 24-7, shame on you, Lord bless you, I'm not sure, right? And so we, we, try, we, we try to compensate because I, believe, I think that Christmas has become such this rushed time that we start it earlier, but in starting it earlier, we realize that it both lasts longer and goes quicker. And research shows that many of you will go into debt this year to buy gifts, like crazy debt. And you'll be paying for the gifts that you paid, that gave at Christmas into September 2012. That's the average thing that happens at Christmas. Go into debt to buy gifts, pay for those gifts until September. And so it's become this rushed, debt-ridden time of year. And a few years ago, I came across a movement that sought to change all of that. And it really is perfectly in line with this prayer that if we were praying for God's kingdom to come, wouldn't it change the way we do Christmas? So today I want to introduce to you uh, the movement called Advent Conspiracy. Uh, Some of you have been with us a number of years and you're familiar with it. Many of you are not. And so I don't know of any better way to describe or to tell you about Advent conspiracy, than to show you this video, and I'll come back back up after the video and and uh, do some more explaining about what this is is like and what it's going to look like. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna do Christmas differently this year as a way of applying this prayer to our lives and to our life corporately. We want to invite you into this movement, a way of spending less, giving more of our presence to one another. Um, In 2008, we we began this movement at at Emmaus Road. At that point, our congregation was running about 40 in average attendance, and uh, God has been so good since then. We set a goal as a group of 40 people to give away $5,000 to build wells in Africa. And that year, those 40 people and extended networks of family and friends gave away $6,759. The next year, in 2009, we gave away $8,165. Last Christmas, we gave away $7,166. That means that as a community, as Emmaus Road, over the last three years, we've given away $22,090, which has built 61 wells and has changed the lives of 9238 people. All because we decided to do Christmas a little bit differently. We do build wells during this movement and uh, we use an organization or we support an organization called Marion Medical Mission. And uh, what I love about Marion Medical Mission is that they build shallow water wells in Malawi, Zambia, and Tanzania. And uh, they will go into any village regardless of the number of people And so, what I love is that they'll um, they'll build wells in villages that serve three or four hundred people, but also serve thirty or forty people. And here's one of the uh, villages that we built a well for. Uh, This is in the village of of Tondwe. and this well serves 150 people. And uh, the funds that we gave helped build this well, and those the lives of these people are forever changed. The great thing about Marion Medical Mission is they empower the local village and they only provide the expertise and materials that the village cannot. And so all the bricks that are used in the well, the village creates to give them ownership. All the parts that go to the site of the well are carried by children in the village. And so the village has true ownership in this. And then they have a repair program where a repairman that's within a bicycle ride of the different villages, if the well is broken, they'll contact them. The the repairman will come and repair it. And then they'll pay in local currency, whether that's grain or a meat of some kind, whatever it is. And so over 90% Of the over 2,000 wells that Marion Medical Mission has built are still functional 20 years later. This is a great organization, and we are so thrilled to be supporting them. And so starting today, you're going to not only be able to give toward this cause. It's $400 a well, and our goal is to give away $9,200, which is 23 wells and thousands of lives changed. That's our goal this Advent. And starting today, you can participate by giving. But we realize that, that this goes beyond just giving money. Uh, because the temptation uh, will be to uh, do Christmas the same, spend extra money to give to Wells, and then perhaps be more in debt. And so what we're going to do is begin resourcing you with ideas of how to do Christmas differently. Because some of you are parents, and you're like, my child is going to kill me if we do this, right? Right? But I promise you, they're learning about this right now in eKids. This very idea is being introduced to them in our eKids area. And they're going to participate with us in really cool ways, which you'll learn more about. And so um, we have some pictures. you know, Just like Tonedway, we have uh, pictures. This is just a sampling of the wells that we have built. The rest of the wells are in a binder at our Advent Conspiracy table. But take a look and see the people whom this church uh, has changed through uh, the grace of God and and how deeply he has blessed us and given us the means to give. And so we're really, really excited about that. If we take this prayer seriously, everything will change.